John 1, 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace, in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This is God's word. My name's Nick. I'm on the staff here um, at Christ Church Mayfair. Let's begin um, with a prayer, shall we? Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would show more of yourself to us now. Please open our eyes, open our hearts to see you, that we might know you. Amen. And I'd, I'd love to start by uh, telling you about a man that I used to know called uh, John Rosmond. Uh, in the house that I grew up in, uh, we were regularly visited by um, homeless people, kind of four or five times a week. We'd have homeless people show up at the door um, and we'd make them a cup of tea and a sandwich and, and, and have a quick chat. Um, but one of these homeless people, uh, John, really stood out to me. Uh, he was this, this hulking big guy. He had this kind of rough, weathered face, kind of scary to look at. Um, but he always had this, this friendly kind of twinkle in his eye. And he always had with him this, this little dog called Lucy, a kind of little white yapper-type dog. I think that's the official breed, I'm not quite sure. Um, it was always with him. Now, through the years, uh, my family got to know John fairly well. Um, and wonderfully, John managed to turn his life around. Um, he managed to, to get off the booze. Um, he managed to get off the streets. He managed, with a bit of help, to get into some social housing. Uh, he turned his whole life around. And, and, and when you asked John about it, he said, John, how have you done this? So many people, you know, struggle to do that. How have you done this? What he said was that he did it all for Lucy. 
this little dog. He wanted to give her a home. He didn't want her to get rained on all day. He did it all for Lucy. In fact, his, 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 his connection with this dog um, was so remarkable that, that years later, um, John was diagnosed with cancer. It was kind of eating away at his jaw. And the doctors gave him a, a whole truckload of drugs to kind of get him out of pain. But he realized that when he was taking these drugs, he couldn't look after Lucy. She was going to be taken away. So what did John do? He just stopped taking the drugs. He just stopped taking them. And he kind of he endured all that pain just so that he could look after and care for this little dog, Lucy. Um, the, the, the doctors, remarkably, they'd given him about four months to live. But when he came off all these drugs, he actually lasted for three more years looking after this dog. You'd see him cycling around our neighborhood. He had this little wicker basket on the front of his bike, and, and Lucy would be in the, in the basket looking around. And, and, and John would have this big bandage around his head and a massive smile on his face, just kind of enduring all that pain because of this connection, this meaningful connection he had with Lucy. Now, tragically, uh, after about three years, Lucy got so old that, that, that she passed away. We tried taking her to the vet, nothing was going to work, and she died. And after that, John only lived for about three weeks. He'd lived for, for three years longer than any doctor had said, but once Lucy was gone, he only lived for about three weeks. And I, we were helping with the funeral, I went round to his house, um, and I remember as we were clearing some stuff out, I, I found next to his dusty old chair, I found this note that he'd written to Lucy in this kind of shaky handwriting. Uh, and it said this. I said, my dear Lucy, I miss you so much. My days are so cold and lonely without you. I miss you more than I can say. All my love, John. And to this day, it's one of the most moving things I've ever read. <laughs> For John, once that, that connection which gave meaning to his life, when that connection was gone, he longed for it. He longed for that, that connection which gave meaning to his life. I guess it's an extreme example, right? But it's a longing that we all share. We all long for a connection that gives meaning to the rest of our lives. I mean, I wonder if you can think of a, a time for, from your life where you've longed to feel connected. And maybe it was with a person. Maybe it was with a, a group of people. Maybe it was with a, a, an experience. That longing for connection is something that we all, we all, we all long for. Partly why Christmas is both so wonderful and so hard. It kind of brings that longing for connection to the surface. I think, I think a meaningful connection like that, it's, it's not just something that we long for. I think it's actually something that we need, isn't it? I mean, if you, if, if you look at the big picture for a moment, if you take your life, right, and then zoom out to the big picture and kind of compare your life to the rest of reality, we are a very small part of a very big universe. Our lives are over in a split second on the scale of time, over like a breath, gone. And when we face up to, 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 to that reality, when we compare our lives to the rest of reality, and how can I pretend that, that my life has any significance? 
I need to connect. I need to, I need to connect with something that's beyond myself. We, we long for a meaningful connection. We, we, we need a meaningful connection when we face up to the realities of life. But have you ever noticed that so often the things that we look to for that connection, they, they, they don't give us the, the, the meaningful connection we really long for. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, take, for example, take, take social media. And that's the, the, big, the, the big aim of social media. The big mission statement of Facebook is, 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 is to connect the world. And you know how much time the, the average person in the UK spends on social media every day? Um, one hour, 50 minutes. <laughs> does it work? I mean, does it, does it actually give people that, that, that meaningful connection that we long for? But all the studies say no. That it says the longer you spend on social media, the less happy you become, the less connected you feel. It ends up just being, being a distraction from, from the meaningful connections we really long for. Or take another example. Take... Um, uh, take, take, take the dating apps, you know, Tinder and all the huge industry, all the dating apps, which again, they offer connection, romantic connection. They offer to us easier than ever before to kind of manufacture a romantic encounter. So I've got my mates that use, use, use those apps all the time. Whenever they want, they can, they, can, they can get into a hookup. Does it give them the deep connection that they long for? Or even take... Take the relationships that do last. I mean, I think those are our, they're our best shot, aren't they? I mean, uh, relationships that last, you know, um, marriage or f deep friendships or family, they're kind of, they're the most meaningful connections that we find, right? They're kind of our best shot. But they're still not complete. I mean, time can take those relationships from us. Death will take those connections from us. I mean, just think of John and Lucy. Beautiful connection, but ends in a tragic separation. Death does that to every relationship. And I want to gently suggest that if you and I are going to have a connection that gives us real meaning, it needs to be able to face up to death. Like if we, if we put all our chips on that meaningful connection being human relationships and death just makes them all end in tragic separation. We need a, a, a connection um, that can face up to death. And I just don't think human relationships can do that. So we, 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 we long for a deep meaningful connection. We need it. But all the things that we look to, none of them quite seem to fit the bill. Well, what if, what if behind all of those other things, there is a deeper relation, there is a deeper connection that's waiting for you and for me? And what if behind those things, there, there, there is a connection we're made for, a connection that, that makes sense of life, a connection that gives me that meaning that I, I truly long for? What if there is that deeper connection waiting for you and for me? Let me draw your attention to uh, the words of, of, of John 1 verse 14. We're just going to look at this one verse. The word became flesh 
and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and made his dwelling uh, among us. Uh, The claim here is that in Jesus, God came to connect with us. That is the magnificent claim of Christmas time, that 2,000 years ago in Jesus, God came to connect with us, to, to, to give us that connection that we truly long for. If you want to know how I'm getting that, if you notice on your, uh, if you take your hand out, it says the, the word in verse 14. If you skip back to verse 1, you'll see that the word there is, was with God and the word was God. So God became flesh, God became a person and made his dwelling among us. God came in Jesus to connect with us. That's the claim that we're just going to spend um, uh, a few more minutes kind of, kind of thinking about. In Jesus, God came to connect with us. Now, um, what do you think of that claim? What's your reaction to that? See, for a lot of people, their first reaction is, okay, sure, that's a claim, but it's just one among many claims, right? I mean, all the major worldviews claim to be able to overcome our, our desire for a deeper meaning. They all claim different things. Buddhists claim one thing. Secularists claim another. Um, Islam claims another. How, how do I know that this claim, why would I listen to this claim over any of the other ones? It's an important question, right? Why would I listen to this claim rather than the others? Well, I think verse 14 actually gives us the answer. Let me, let me, let me um, explain. One person uh, put it this way. You have to kind of... Come with me on this one. Imagine for a moment that um, masked gunmen smash through the door and they kidnap all of us and they throw us in the back of uh, unmarked vans and they, uh, they drug us so that we forget everything. Right? I said you need to use your imagination. Um, and imagine that we, we, we wake up and we find ourselves um, in an enormous box and there are no windows and there are no doors. There's no way of knowing what's outside the box. Now, one day, one of us starts to guess. They say, everyone goes, I know what's outside the box. I think that outside the box, there's a a giant turtle, and that's what we all really need to connect with. And amazingly, people start to to listen to this guy, and he kind of creates a little following. But soon someone else says, no, 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 I know what's outside the box. It's a giant, uh, giant flamingo. And he manages to get a group of followers who all listen to him. A third person says, no, 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 guys, I know there's nothing outside the box. All that matters is what's, what's, what's here now. And what we really need to connect to is just kind of life inside the box. Well, how would you know who to listen to? You get the analogy, right? How would we know? If we're inside, how can we know what's beyond? Well, imagine for a moment that we're back there in that box and suddenly we hear knock coming from the ceiling. And then someone breaks through and drops down into the middle of the conversation. And that person says, I'm from beyond and I've come to rescue you. Now, that, that would change the conversation, right? Right? <laughs> 
I mean, you might not believe this person. You'd probably want to pepper them with questions. But that would change the conversation. I'm from beyond, and I've come in to show you what, what the reality is and to rescue you. Well, that is exactly what verse 14 is claiming. Have a look down at verse 14 again. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The claim here is that, that in Jesus, God came from beyond to connect with us. Like He jumped through the roof into the middle of the conversation. He says, guys, that, that deeper reality that you all want to connect with, yeah, it's me. I'm from beyond. I'm here to rescue you. And that changes the conversation. Now, I kind of want to pause there for a second because um, when I talk to my friends about this, one thing they sometimes say is, okay, fine, you think that Jesus is God come to connect with us. But if that was true, why wouldn't it be more obvious? Have you ever, have you ever wondered that? If that was true, why wouldn't God make it more obvious to the world? I can see why people would think that. Again, it can appear like one option among many. But here's what's wrong with that. God hasn't done this quietly. Like, if you look back at the course of human history, most historians agree the, the one figure who's influenced the course of human history more than any other is Jesus Christ. If you want proof of that, I'll ask you a question. What year is it? 2019 years since what? The way that the human race measures time is based around this man's life. BC, AD. And that's not just Christians, that's the whole human race. Okay, 2019 years since Jesus was born, 2020 years since Jesus was born. God hasn't done this quietly. When verse 14 happened, when the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, it split time in two. God has not done this quietly. He's ripped off the lid and come down into the middle of the conversation and said, hello, here I am. And he's holding out his hand to you and me. God comes to connect with us in Jesus Christ. Now, that might raise all sorts of questions for you. But I want to encourage you, do ask those questions. This changes the conversation. So do ask those, those questions. We've got this course coming up in the new year, Honest Questions. Um, a great chance to find out more about this claim, the word becoming flesh. And to pepper him with your questions. See if he stands up. See if it stacks up and makes sense. It'd be great to see you there if you can make it. Now, before we finish, there's kind of one, one, one final thought that I just want to draw out uh, of this verse. One final thought, which is, um, this is true. If in Jesus God came to connect with us, that is amazing news because it means this. It means that God is personal. It means that the, the thing outside the box, this connection that we all long for, it's not, a, it's not a philosophy that you have to follow. It's not a, an idea that you have to analyze. It's a person that you can know. This idea that the infinite God became a person to reach out his hand to you and I, to offer us that connection that we're truly made for. I, 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 I love the way that this kind of blows our categories, right? 
broadly speaking, uh, people think there are, there, there are two ways to approach truth, how we can know the truth, right? Rationalism and romanticism. So, so rationalism uh, says we want uh, evidence, we want logic, we want clear argumentation. Romanticism wants experience. Like I want to feel, I want to know, I want to experience the truth. I wonder which of those kind of two approaches you identify with, with most. They've both kind of got strengths and weaknesses. They're kind of pitted against each other often. But, 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 but what I love about verse 14 is that it just smashes those categories. Right? This is rational because God became a person in history. This isn't vague guesswork. This isn't mysticism. This is an actual event that happened in history that you can read the factual accounts. You can weigh it up. It stands up rationally. But it's not just rational. It's not just an argument to analyze. It's a person. A person that you can know. And even better than that, a person that knows you. A person that you can fall in love with. Even better than that, you find that he loves you. In Jesus God comes to connect with us. God is personal. It means that God is personal. I was talking a couple of weeks ago, um, just after the evening service, just down there, I was having a conversation with a guy. And he, was, he said to me, he was really honest, I really admired his honesty. He said, um, I love coming to church. Um, I love the music, I love the kind of social aspect, but I don't feel a personal connection to God, he said. He really admired his honesty. There'll probably be people here this evening who feel the same way. If you're honest, I, I don't feel a personal connection to God. If that's you, verse 14 says that God is offering you a personal connection in Jesus. He became a person to hold out his hand to you and to me. So if, if, if you don't feel a personal connection with him, it's not because God isn't offering you one. See, in Jesus, God comes to connect with us. He's offering us his hand. And I, I just want to implore you, don't turn your back on that. I mean, do, do ask your questions. Do take one of the accounts of his life. Do look into this further. Pepper him with your questions. But don't turn your back on that. He's offering you his hand. In Jesus, God came to connect with us, to offer us that connection that we truly long for. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you haven't left us. Thank you so much that you have come to us, that you do offer us that connection that we long for, a connection that makes sense of this life, a connection that, that gives us the meaning that we truly long for. Thank you so much that you became flesh and made your dwelling among us. Amen.